I am very excited. Our guest speaker this morning is Dr. Robert Record, and he's from Birmingham, Alabama. And so um, he was at our banquet last night, our gala, the uh, Grand Rapids Dream Center gala. And uh, he actually was the first director of the Birmingham Dream Center. Um, I believe they started in 2009. And um, so um, he is a medical doctor. They also have a medical clinic that's connected with the Birmingham Dream Center. But he has got a message just to stir us up this morning. So would you please give him a warm reload welcome as he comes this morning. Thank you, Tom. This is an amazing place. Those of you who weren't at the Grand Rapids Dream Center banquet last night, hey, men of God, we need you to plug in. So, Greg, would you stand up? Most of you know Greg, but I guarantee you he would love to find a place to put your hand serving another young man who needs what you have, the ability to show up early, the ability to work hard, the ability to love the Lord, the ability to love your family. So more important than almost everything I'm going to say today is please connect with Greg before you leave today. So if you can do that, thank you, Tom, for having me. I also have to thank Randy. Where's Randy? Where's Randy, where are you? Come on. Hey, my zipper would have been down if it wasn't for you. I don't know how he knew, but... um. Hey, guys, thanks for showing up. It's dark here at 6 o'clock in the morning. We were looking, Demetri and I are on the way from the hotel, and we are looking at the, the moon's full up at 6 o'clock in the morning, and you guys are here, and you could have been a lot of places. And so I really want to honor your commitment to the Lord, to your sincerity to drawing closer to him. That's not to be taken lightly. That's a big deal. God sees it. He doesn't love you more because you do it, but he sees it. And I think there's something that he honors in it, and he blesses you and your families for it. I honor your time and want to make the most of it. Can I pray a blessing over you before we get started? Pray that our ears would be ready to hear. There's a long ways from getting somewhere to being there if you're like me. So let's get our minds on right and let's hear from the Lord. God, I thank you for every man in this room. I pray that you would consecrate their ears to hear what you have to say today. I pray that you would consecrate their hearts and seal up what you put in it. Father, I pray that you'd bless their hands, that everything they touch today would be blessed by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I pray that you would bless their families, that they'd be blessed coming and going, that you would protect their health, protect their joy, that you would give them ministry and vision, that you would give them life. Jesus, help us to hear from you today. I pray that you would shut up my voice where I don't speak your word and that people would truly hear from you. Amen. Guys, I'm from Alabama, so I'm going to move a little slow. Be patient with me. I think I'll have some slides. Um, they're ill-formatted. That's Pai up there. I want to talk a little bit about how fortunate I feel to get to do what I get to do in ministry. So I'm a family doctor. I take care of patients. I went to medical school because I knew I wanted to be a minister. My pastor says that's crazy, but I knew I wanted to go to a community that didn't look like mine. And if I was going to go there, I had to have a gift to offer. And that gift didn't need to be just preaching. It needed to be actually touching someone at the point of their need. 
so that they could be whole. I got to go to South Africa this year. Anybody ever been to Africa? What a wonderful and beautiful place. And I met this little girl who wrecked my life. So we saw 4,400 patients in a week. Where are you, doc? My cardiologist friend I got to meet just a second ago. He left early. I have that effect on people. <laughs> we saw 4,400 patients in a week. So we're just flying through patients, one after the next, out in Eastern Cape in rural South Africa. And this little girl came. She's 15 years old. I am not a big man. She is 57 pounds and 15 years old. Both of her parents have died of HIV. She lives with an aunt. She has HIV. Her school teacher brought her, who also has HIV. And she was sick last year with tuberculosis and had a little bit of cough when she came in. They said, but we think the cough is getting better. And I'm like, great. Here are some antibiotics that you don't need, but this is a mission clinic, and you probably can't find anybody that's going to take care of you next week if the cough is still there. And then they said, well... Maybe the cough is worse than we said it was. And we got to talking to them, and it turns out she's been coughing and losing weight. And an HIV and a tuberculosis patient that's losing weight is a terrible sign. Open her mouth, and just like when you had a baby, there's thrush everywhere, which changes the entire diagnosis. So for my child, this would have been a simple cough, and everything is fine. And this child, this is an AIDS-defining illness in a country ill-equipped to take care of significant illness in a part of the country with a hospital that looks like your clinic. And I have to tell this 57-pound, 15-year-old, we're rushing you to the hospital. For one moment, for one moment to get to sit with her and to see her tears and her fear, we called her aunt and said, she needs to go to the hospital, but she needs an adult to go with her. And the aunt said, oh, yeah, I'm a guardian, but when we said, you need to go with her. She says, I'm not really her guardian. And this concept that there was a child in the world that's 15, 57 pounds, and nobody claims her as their own. Men, what you do matters. What you do for your family matters. The fact that you show up matters. This little girl, and I knew I was coming to speak here, and I began to think about these men and fathers. How do we do what we do why do we do what we do, and how do we reproduce our image in our kids? You can go ahead to the next slide. I stood at the feet at Nelson Mandela and realized that every man, every man all over the world is looking for something. Every man is searching. My entire life, I've been searching just to be a little bit cooler. Like Greg, I mean, look at this flat-billed hat. If I tried to... If I tried to rock that thing, y'all be like, nah, he's just trying to. But Greg, you're like, it's even over the ears. Like, I've never in my life tucked my ears into my hat. But you rock it, man. It works. I've wanted to be cool like Dimitri over here. I mean, Dimitri's got all these kids going to Georgia with him. Like, let's go trout. Like, if, if, I, if I handed out $100 bills, I probably couldn't get five people to go hang out with me for the weekend like that. My friend is the Puma tennis shoe rep. You know, you got friends, you like, you get 40% off a of wholesale. So my main thing is I'm cheap, but all of us, that's me, man. Thank you, Tim. My friend is the Puma tennis shoe rep. So I get these for like 20 bucks. I'm like, you know who wears Puma tennis shoes? Hip-hop people. I'm like, I work in the inner city. I can't, I can't pull off the flat bill hat. 
I'm going to rock those Puma tennis shoes, and people are going to be like, yeah, Rihanna had some of those on stage last week. I knew I was going to be cool. So I showed up to work in December in these shoes for the first time. I'm like, everybody's going to notice. And I'm like, they're going to say, you're finally cool, Doc. You're, you're, you're one of us now. And they said, you do look like somebody famous. You look just like somebody famous. I'm like, I know, it's Rihanna, right, or Jay-Z or somebody. And they said, well, a little bit like that. And then they made this slide for me. You want to hit the next one? So evidently I look like somebody famous. <laughs> well, everybody's, everybody's looking for something, and, and when we fake it, we just fail. I wore the tennis shoes today just so you could laugh at me. Um, since I'm not funny, maybe I can be funny looking. Everybody's looking for something. I want you to hear the words of Jesus here. I'm preaching from this. I asked Greg for a paper Bible, but he brought the King James, and I don't know how to, I don't have that deep preacher voice. Pastor Randy could come up here, and I bet he could hit it. Thou shalt not. I, I can't pull it off, so I had to go to my little NIV. If, if that's not sufficient here in the Reformed part of the world, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> Anytime in scripture you see a pattern of Jesus saying the same thing or of God saying the same thing, pay close attention. And in the life of Jesus, every once in a while, we hear this great narrator, right? Like in the movies you'll hear, and Jim woke up. And, and you hear this voice. And every once in a while in scripture, we hear this booming voice where heaven is parted and we hear the Lord of all the universe speak over Jesus. And there's a pattern to those words. Let me read them to you from Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. If you have your iPhone, open it to that. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. At which point, so many of my theologian buddies with their Trinitarian theologies go into so much detail. And I don't, I like, there are like five verses that point out the Trinity in all of Scripture, and they have volumes of books. I don't know how they can pick that up. I'm not that smart a theologian. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. At the transfiguration, we see, we see the same voice come, and, and he adds, Listen to him. This is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And I think there's a pattern for us in that as men. And I stole this from my pastor, okay, so I'm not so smart. There's a pattern for us as men in how to reproduce the image of God that's been invested in us in the men we take care of. And you can hit the next slide. And here's the pattern, a biblical pattern, acceptance. Every man, every man, even you strong ones that work in construction trades and say I couldn't make it out there wear short sleeve t-shirts when I have a sweater on wants to hear you are accepted I love you they may not want to hear it quite said I love you but they want to hear I love you in the language where they can hear it they all excuse me acceptance we're family then affection I love you and affirmation I believe in you I want to share with you how that pattern is played out in my life through some people so that you might see how it is played out in your life and more importantly, 
begin to invest it in others. Sound good? Hopefully it won't bore you. Go ahead to the next slide. The most important man in my life, right there. That's my dad. And he gave me a name and told me I would never, ever disrespect that name. And he gave me an identity. At four years old, we were at the baseball park. And Michael Sylvester took my baseball bat. He was 13. He, my dad looked at me and said, that's your baseball bat. You going to let him take it? I'm like, Daddy, I don't know how to get it back. You go get your baseball bat back. So I walked to the other end of the stands, and Michael Sylvester was just playing with me. But I didn't know it. I said, give me my baseball bat. And he continues to play with me. I said, my daddy said, give me my baseball bat back. He continues to play with me. So I reared back and kissed, kicked him in the family parts. <laughs> Took my baseball bat back. <laughs> my dad gave me an irrational confidence so that even today, my wife is completely afraid of what I might think we can do. <laughs> an irrational confidence. At age... Um, At age, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think of the age and not screw it up, and I apologize. At age 13, I transfer schools. I'm five foot five, 105 pounds. He says, nobody can beat you at anything. Driving around the other day, something was going wrong. There was a new person. We, we brought on another clinic who was fighting us, kind of one of the doctors was just acting up. And this thought welled up in my head from my dad. You can fight me, and you have two choices if you fight me on this. I'll either let you win or you'll lose. But you will never beat me. How do we as men invest that into other men, that you are a winner? I went off to college. I, no, I didn't play football. I ran track. You probably think I was a cross-country runner, but I was a sprinter and a jumper. And we went to Southern Illinois University at Carbondale. was my first college race. Anybody ever heard of SIU Carbondale? Fairly small school, but big when you're a sprinter that looks like me. And I showed up at the line, and there, there were some professional runners at this indoor meet. And there was a, one guy that looked like me, me. And, and I started jumping around at the starting line, and I said, which one of you boys is going to get second? <laughs> I knew I was going to be an Olympian. And I got second to last. <laughs> and every other meet of my college career, I was convinced, absolutely convinced it was going to be my breakthrough. This is the week I get a second and a half faster, and I'm going to be in the Olympics in the 100 meters. Never happened but there was an irrational confidence because that man gave it to me. He gave me an identity that was not fragmented, that was not fractured, that said, you matter and you can do anything in this world. And men, I want you to hear from the Heavenly Father. You matter and because he has all power, there is nothing you cannot do. And as we begin to reproduce our image, most of us have graying hair, except Tom. How are you almost 65? My hair is turning clear. 
It's like a polar bear. It's not even turning white. It's just turning clear. We're not at the age where we're so much trying to conquer the world right now. But we're investing into other people. I've got Dimitri with me. Dimitri, I need you to look at the world and say, there is nothing I cannot do. My dad gave me an identity. Then it was time for me to leave his home with this very clear idea that I was fully raised. I was a man. Other people could speak into my life, but nobody else could raise me. And some other men did come to speak in my life. Hit the next slide, if you will. Um, this man gave me scripture. When I became a Christian, nobody gave me John Stott's basic Christianity. Nobody gave me C.S. Lewis's mere Christianity. This minister gave me a Bible and said, everything you need for life and godliness is in these pages. Read this, absorb it. And so he challenged me. Read 10, read 10 chapters of scripture a day as an older teenager. Read 70 chapters of scripture a week and see what the Lord begins to put in you. And surely I misread some of the scripture, but the scripture carried with it power. And he gave me the scriptures and a love for the word of God. Men, are you spending time in the word every day? Here, I'm going to call you out. If you read your Bible this morning before you came, raise your hand. If you're leaving here to go to work, raise your hand. You need the word of God planted in your heart. Now, you're listening to me say it, but it's different when you read it. And I'm not asking you to get all religious with it, but I am asking you to hide it in your heart because there's somebody that's going to pass your, that's going to cross through your path today and you need to have a nugget of truth that you're meditating on that you're sharing with them. Every day of my life, you can ask Dimitri, I am ready at, at morning prayer. If it's my turn to share, or if somebody shows up and, it's, and they forgot or somebody forgets to show up at morning prayer at our ministry, I have a word for that day. This man gave me that. Is that not the most Baptist-looking picture you've ever seen in your life? <laughs> Baptist architecture. So I, I was a Baptist briefly 25 years ago, and now I'm sitting on the board of Alabama Baptist Children's Home. I'm their only non-Baptist, but they know I care about adoption, and they asked me to sit on their board. And I went into their building, and there were, there was a, it was a beautiful building, but there was a wallpaper runner around the, around the top of the drywall there were some artificial flowers and I was like this is Baptist architecture and that is a Baptist picture if there ever was one I love my southern Baptist friends he gave me scripture but that is the most Baptist picture I've ever seen next picture this man so that's Dr. John Perkins in the funny hat an powerful incredible man of God um an important pivotal picture figure in the civil rights movement. Next to him is Pastor Steve Noblet, who was my pastor as a young man. And the first week he met me, come up for just a second. You look cooler than me too. Everybody Thanks. looks cooler than me. He pulls me up and he says, after watching me for just a week, he says, brother, we have like heart. I want to spend time with you. Brother, we have like heart. I want to spend time with you. He was in his mid-40s, and I was 18, 19, 20 years old. And he says, 
of all the people in this church, I want to spend my time on you. God has sent you here to learn ministry. And he gave me the kingdom of God. Jesus is obsessed in scripture with this concept of the kingdom of God. It says that's what he talked about. Even after he arose from the dead, said he spent 40 days talking to them about the kingdom of God before he went on to his resurrection. And this man talked to me about the kingdom. He says, what are the things in a kingdom? You got to have a king. You got to have a territory that he rules. There's the rule of God. There are subjects. There's authority and there's power. And he talked to me. You said 1982, you got baptized in the Holy Spirit, right there, Pastor Tom? I don't know if I can say that out loud. I'm sorry. Outed you. Um, he talked to me about the power of God. Not that we are survivalists waiting for God to take us home and rapture us, but that we were going to overcome this world and we were going to see the things of God ushered into the kingdom that we were going to see strongholds torn down, that we didn't look at abortion as just a thing that was set in our country and there was nothing we could do about it, that we didn't look at murder in the inner city neighborhood where we churched as something that was just there and there was nothing that we could do about it, that we could pray into the heavenlies and it made a difference. And that man gave me that, but he didn't give it to me preaching to me. He gave it to me because he pulled me aside and says, I'm with you. So who are you pulling aside at your workplace? How many of you go to Res Life Church? Who are you pulling aside at Res Life Church? What young man have you grabbed? What young man like Dimitri are you saying, even though you're a mature Christian, let's go spend two days together and see what God lights. Let's pull you aside and say, Hey, God has power in you for this. That made a difference in my life. We're still friends to this day, half a lifetime later. Hit the next slide. This gentleman gave me calling. Andy Stanley, any of y'all listen to Andy Stanley, any of his podcasts? He said he went to his dad when he was 20-something. All his friends were saying this, I submit to the call of ministry. And he said, Dad, I don't at all feel the call of ministry on my life. But I really want to do it. Do you think God would let me just do it even though I don't feel the call? And he said, his dad scratched his head and said, you know what? I think God uses volunteers. I saw this man's calling to be a father to the fatherless. On our way up to East St. Louis the first time, one of my friends said, rush your little brother. And I met this guy, DeMarco, who lived in inner city East St. Louis, Illinois, and his brother, Darion. And I met every Christmas and spring break for four years, seven Christmas, seven trips total, I hung out with DeMarco, invested in his life, and I listened to this guy. There's nothing. I mean, that guy is no more cool than me. If I'm not mistaken, he is rocking white New Balance tennis shoes right there. He has the highest calling of any man I've ever met on the earth. And that's to father the fatherless. I knew I kind of wanted to do something like that. But when I left his presence, I said, I'll just take your calling if that's all right. So what are you modeling to other men? Are you modeling consumption? Hey, I mean, I bought a new watch the other day. We all have stuff. Stuff's not bad. 
but are you modeling consumption? Are you modeling just achieve? Are you modeling the things of God that actually matter? As I read scripture, I see another theme play out all the way through, and that's God's heart for the fatherless, God's heart for the widow and the orphan and the oppressed. And this gentleman opened my eyes to it. He wasn't a great speaker. Even though he's an inner city minister, he couldn't play basketball for nothing. I don't know that he could sing, but he had the highest calling I'd ever seen. And I don't care if you install insulation, if you are a plumber, a tailor, a tinker, a baker, retired, you have the same calling. You have the same calling to go out there and father the fatherless. Are you modeling that to other men? And are you pulling men to your side and spending enough time with them that they could hear that? Next slide. This guy's just strange. <laughs> to be a blues man, you have to be strange. This is a white guy whose mama named him Mo. He doesn't know what he is. I wanted to go to medical school, but I also knew I wanted to be a minister. And some friends from rural South Louisiana said, hey, we know this minister in New Orleans who is in the ninth ward. You need to spend time with him, Robert. So when I interviewed for medical school, I also went and interviewed at his ministry. And I chose medical school based on his ministry. And he looked at me and he said, Robert, I don't need you to serve my kids, not at all. You can come hang out with us. You can play a little bit. But that's not what I need you to do here. I need you to learn a theological praxis for ministry among the poor. I need you to learn how we do what we do. I need you to learn not just giving a nominal ladle of chicken noodle soup. We have to do that. But how do we transform society? At the same time, he looked at me and he said, I try to surround myself with people with more character than I have because I know how broken my character is. And he, in humility, said, I know brokenness. Are you transparent with people? Guys, I am a total screw-up at times. I mean, just completely can make mistakes. The other day, I'm riding down the road, a bicycle going 10 miles an hour in a 25-mile-an-hour zone. I'm behind him, and I waited, and I waited, and he's not even pedaling. I'm like, I finally have overcome. I finally have overcome getting upset about this stuff. I, get, I finally get around him, like after being behind him for minutes. I get around this husband and wife. I get to the stoplight. I stop. It's a red light, and they come right beside me and go through the red light. Can I tell you my brokenness came right up? <laughs> right out the window. I'm like, are you kidding me? It's a red light. We're all broken. And those of us who won't admit it are just lying. And we cannot authentically imprint people with the image of God and our need for God if we don't fess up to where we fail and where we're weak. Guys, be weak. So while my dad gave me irrational confidence that nobody could ever beat me, I was a middle-of-the-pack sprinter in college. I was a complete and utterly frustrated private practice doctor when I tried it while I was waiting for God to open up the opportunity to do ministry. 
As a dad, I can scream at my kids sometimes, and I wish I wouldn't. I am broken and utterly dependent on God to make up for that brokenness, and I don't have any intention of getting men around me to fake it. Fake will just make you tired, but it won't make you effective. Everybody will see through it every time. Hit the next slide. Covenant. So after years of wanting to be in ministry, I showed up at Church of the Highlands. All my friends in New Orleans, we ran a small group in our home in New Orleans throughout medical school. 35 people were in our small group. Half of them were seminarians. For four years, I pastored all of these guys in seminary. And I was completely frustrated the day I graduated medical school. All of these guys are going to get to go be pastors today, and I have to go learn how to do rectal exams and residency. This is just not fun. It's not fair. And I showed up in Pastor Chris Hodges' church that had just planted. We were meeting in a high school. And I went to him, just like I've gone to every pastor that I've been in their church before. And I said, I know I'm called to ministry. I'm not here to mess up your church. I'm not here to build my own ministry. I have no clue where God will take me. But he's put me under your care for now, just here to serve. And he looked at me and he said, Robert, don't you ever, ever, apologize to me again for being a leader. God only sends me so many. I need you to lead at the highest level you possibly can. Who's knocking on your door? And are you answering them that way? And over a few years, we started dreaming. And then I went into his office with this idea of a ministry, and I said, I I need your covering. He says, how much money? I said, I don't need your money. I need covering. If you say go, it's a go. If you say no, it's a no. I really need you to protect me and my family in this season. And we walked into ministry and for eight and a half years we have done ministry together. And I know this. People call him from time to time and say, say, hey Robert totally botched this. Robert screwed it up. Robert was unkind. Robert doesn't know what he's doing. And do you know what his answer is to them every time? Thank you, that's very nice. I'm on Robert's side. Now, privately, he may come to me and correct me on something he needs to correct me on. But every time, he has my back, my front, and my all around. I am on your side. Next to him is Pastor Dino Rizzo, who's my direct boss at the clinic, and the funniest person I've ever met. And between these two men, they gave me the simplicity of ministry. Everybody wants to go look for the deep things of God as if it's understanding tulip or if it's reading the latest, greatest book. The deep things of God are pretty simple. To love God with all your heart and to love your neighbor. And anything that doesn't help you do that is pretty useless in Christianity. They gave me that and they gave me leadership. That all ministry is about giving it away. And then the final man that I want to highlight last picture is my favorite man in all the earth he's 15 years old that's my son take record and I would kill either anyone in this room who tried to hurt him he is my favorite person on the earth and he gave me a gift in leadership he gave me sonship and helped me understand that all of this life is about image transfer At the beginning of creation, the image of God was invested in Adam. 
In the fall, it was corrupted. And since that point, God has been restoring his image in the earth. And the primary way he does it is through people passing the image that he has restored in them onto other people. That's what you're doing in the inner city here. And I am trying to pass the image of all those men that came before me, that sowed into me, into this little man. That's him winning a race, by the way. Killing it in a 10K. He is slow, but he can run forever. He, he, I mean, he is not fast at all, but he can flat out run forever. I am putting the image of Chris Hodges and Dino Rizzo into him. Leadership and covenant. I'm putting the image of Mo Leverett into him. Brokenness. I'm putting the image of Chet Cantrell into him. Calling. I am putting the image of Tony Hand into him, Scripture. I'm putting the image of Steve Noblet into him, the kingdom of God. I'm putting the image of my own father into him. Son, you can do anything. And the primary way I'm doing it, so the last slide, is exactly what the Lord did. Son, you're accepted. No matter what you do, no matter when you do it, no matter what mistake you make, no matter how frustrating you are, no matter how many pounds of clothing are on your bedroom floor, you're accepted. We're family. I had a broken man in my clinic Monday of last week. Two weeks before, he had beaten his wife. He felt lower than a worm. And in many ways, he should. If you beat your wife, stop. Confess. Ask somebody for help. If you beat her verbally, stop, confess, and ask somebody to help. He had beaten his wife, and he didn't see any way forward. And his wife told him, you're not a Christian. God does not love you. He's living in his car, and his wife's willing to restore with him. And I was able to look at him and say, I have four kids, two biologic, two adopted. Every one of those kids are my kid for the rest of their life, period. Doesn't matter if they commit murder. Doesn't matter if they steal everything I have. Doesn't matter if they spit on me. They're my kid. You are accepted. If you will come to the Father, his heart is for you. My son Tate, you are accepted. Don't draw your acceptance from the world. Don't draw your identity from the world. I gave you a name and God gave you a calling. And nobody can take it away. You are accepted. Told it to that man, tell it to my son. Second, affection. I love you, period. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. I ask all the students that come through my office, tell me the gospel in less than two sentences. And they go into this long thing. We were sinners, and the Lord saw it, and he was upset, but then he made a way, and, and they go into this whole theological treatise, and I said, no, you've missed it. Either you misheard it or somebody told it to you wrong. The gospel is this. God loves you and has made a way in Jesus for you to receive that love and give it back. The doctrine of sin is important, but it's only important for us because God has already dealt with it. God loves you, period. And we have to go to men if they're going to see the image of God and make that practical for them. 
I love you, period. Dimitri, screw up. Go get a girl pregnant. And you know what you're going to hear from me? I love you, period. No, don't do it. I don't mean really do it. But <laughs> I love you no matter what. Love does not have condition or it's not love. It's something else. I love you. You're accepted. You're loved. And then finally, affirmation. I believe in you. Who's that man at your office that you can find today and say, there's something in you. You have an incredible gift that I can't wait to see flourish. If you find somebody today and tell them that, they will go to war for you. More importantly, they'll go to war for the kingdom of God that you believe in. So today, that's what I submit to you. Accept affection and then empower them with that love, okay? I don't know how to end this, Randy, because I don't speak a lot, but I want to pray over us that God would light up some opportunities for you. I thank you for letting me spend time with you here in Grand Rapids. I believe the gospel is going to play out in your life some way today with some man. Thank you, Jesus, for each man in this room. Thank you that you have called them. Thank you that you've invested your identity in them. Father, I would pray that you would reveal your affection for them. That is, they're driving to work. They couldn't hear talk radio or a musician. They'd hear the voice of Almighty Father say, I love you. I'm well pleased with you. You are worth it. Father, I pray I would hear that voice today. I pray for our sons, both physical and spiritual that you would bless them today to know that they are loved and that you are pleased with them. Help us to hear your voice today. Thank you for these men and the time they've invested here. Return it back to them. Make them five times more fruitful today than they've ever been at work. Bless them for coming to hear from you, Jesus.